I'd love for you to go to John chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. For the last two weeks, we've been looking at the life of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And I cannot lie to you. I have fallen in love with those three characters. And even more in love with the God in the midst of them, Jesus. And as I've looked just at their lives, there's almost like a magnetic pull for me. Um, as I'm reading through the Bible, you know, um, I read an Old Testament passage, then I read a New Testament passage. And what I found is after I've done those readings, I'll go back to John and to Mark, and, and I just get stuck with them. And uh, I'll tell you why, because I think that when you look at this amazing story that we've looked at for the last few weeks, you find real people having real challenges with a real God in their midst. And when you find that combination, those things spill over into worship. And we may find ourselves in that place where we are facing massive challenges within our lives. But when we encounter a Jesus, as the Hebrew writer says, who is moved and stirred in his heart because of our weaknesses and because of our challenges, we cannot help but to be drawn to this Jesus. And so over this past week, again, time and time, I'm just feeling magnetically drawn to this Jesus because I just see how he interacts with these three people who the Bible says were his friends, where he went into their home. He kicked off his shoes or his sandals, as it were, and he just reclined in their presence, and he just felt so at home with them. The Son of Man, the Son of God. And of course, the book of John emphasizes that Jesus is the Son of God. And in the midst of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he found a circle of friends that he needed and that he felt comfortable with. They refreshed him. I'm sure that as Jesus reclined, Martha would come to Jesus and she would say, Jesus, what will it be today? Will it be pizzas or waffles with cream? What would you like? Two of my favorites. And Jesus would say, wow, let's have some fish. And um, they would have wonderful fellowship. And so we catch the story here in John chapter 12, where they had just been through this incredible challenge within all of their lives, including Jesus. Remember, he was 100% man, but he never ceased to be God when he was on the earth. And uh, we see that Mary and Martha comes to him and said, hey, our brother Lazarus has died, and the one you love, and remember that word love there is not agape which is the God type of love. It is philia, which is the friendship type of love, the one that you love as a friend, the one that you showed your heart to, the one that you love to be with. He says he died, 
And of course we know that after two days only Jesus arrived. And a wonderful statement is made in John chapter 11, verse 4. And Jesus just says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory, or it is for God's glory, so that the Son of Man may be glorified. And so we see that he gives them the bigger picture of what is happening here. And then we see just how Martha, who's the theologian within the family here, she asks the theological questions, and Jesus meets her right where she is at. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, do you believe that? And Martha says, I believe. Wonderful song we sang today. I believe. I believe. Do you believe today? She believed. (laughs) And then Mary. Jesus, Lazarus has died. And the Bible says that she questioned Jesus if he came earlier, Jesus. And of course, what happens? She falls at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because she did that after. Falls at the feet of Jesus. And um, Jesus' heart just breaks for her. And he meets Mary right where she is at. And he speaks her language. And he gets into her life. And he just stirs her up. And of course, we see that he meets Lazarus where Lazarus is at. He's dead. My friends, nothing is impossible with God. He meets Lazarus in his death. Four days he's been dead, body decaying, etc., etc. And Jesus meets him right there. And I remember, not this week, but the previous week, as I was praying into the situation, I just felt that, that as God raised Lazarus from the dead, that he was going to raise things that's died within our hearts. He was going to bring that to life. I didn't mention it last week, but I really feel that that is what God is doing. He is bringing life again within those areas that died within our lives. Could be dreams that's died for some reason. It could be love that's died for some reason. And I just feel that as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, the Spirit of God is going to come and He's going to bring life to those things which had died. Maybe that's why I just love the story. Because God meets each and single one of us just where we find ourselves. Sometimes in despair, sometimes in disappointment. Other times when we are just so confused because of what life is throwing at us. But that is where you can find Him. And so, the last few weeks, we looked at a life. That keeps on speaking. And let's read John verses um, 12, verses 1 to 11. You can just follow along with me, please. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, 
where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in honor of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? That's all happened after the resurrection, raising Lazarus from the dead. Listen to the language. Martha did what? Ah, oh, that's who she was. She had a great theology. She knew that theology, the Bible, Scripture says that you need to serve. She didn't serve out of her feelings. She served out of the objective truth of God. If God says it, Mary is that, Martha is that type of person, I do it. We have people like that in in the church, they don't wait for their emotions to be stirred. They don't wait for circumstances to be right. They serve because of what they believe. And so we see here that Martha served while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. What a sight. This woman, she wasn't so much stirred by theology. She was stirred out of a sense of her relationship with Jesus. Now, of course, we want to be stirred by that. I understand that. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save the perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not Always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also because of Lazarus. They came to see him, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So the last few weeks, we've been speaking about a life that kept on speaking. Lazarus' life kept on speaking after he was raised from the dead. His life still speaks today because we're looking at this account. His life still speaks. A life that keeps on speaking is a life that has been supernaturally touched by Jesus. And then secondly, we looked at a life that keeps on speaking is a life that walks in the resurrection power of Jesus. And then this morning, I want us to look at a life that keeps on speaking. It's a life that lives for the glory of God. John 11 verse 4 says, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness of Lazarus will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Uh, the word glory is a very hard term to define. It's one of those abstract terms. And so over the last few weeks, I've tried to get my hands on everything 
messages preached, books written about it, so that I can fully understand the word glory. And of course, there's no ways that I can. But I've got a little bit of an understanding of what glory means because we use the word glory for so many, many things. The football team that I support, Man United, we would normally shout, glory, glory, Man United. Well, how many of you know that there's not much glory there at the moment? They lost against Fulham yesterday. So there's not much glory in that. So why are we saying glory, glory, Man United? Because obviously we want their name to be lifted up above all other names. Try to shout glory, glory, Liverpool, but it doesn't quite work the same way, does it? On King's behalf. But glory is that term which is hard to define. The Bible defines, uses different words to define the word glory in English. But one of the earliest one in Hebrew was the word kabut. It, it, it meant heaviness. It, was, it, 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 it meant a substance that was, that was heavy, that was full. And, 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 and oftentimes in the Bible, or in you, uh, it, it, it refers to this type of presence of God which is full which is all complete. Um, in the Old Testament, they called it the Shekinah glory of God that filled the temple. And the high priest who made sacrifices for the people once a year, when he walked into the temple, the innermost courts of the temple, that area where he would sacrifice for the sins of the people, they would tie a little rope, well, not a rope, a uh, a rope on his ankles. And when he went in, if he had unconfessed sins within his life, the glory of God would strike him dead. That's how powerful and full and awesome that glory of God was. And that rope was meant to pull him out of the temple because people won't walk into it. It's the glory of God on the one hand. On the other hand, when God's glory filled people, just fell, people just fell on their knees. And they worshipped God. There is something awesome about the glory of God. Eventually it came to mean honor. It came to mean abundance. It came to mean riches. It came to mean the splendor of God. It came to mean the dignity of God, the fame of God. His reputation. That, that is what the glory of God. When we say, I want to live my life to the glory of God, it means I want to live in such a way to um, give meaning to his name and, and, and to represent him in such a way that his name is heard and glorified and esteemed. I remember both of my sons have had the occasions over the years when they had to make some important decisions and we would speak, and I recall phoning them, and we would talk about it, and I just said to them, first thing that you boys must understand is that you're a Wallace. What does that mean? We, as a Wallace family, have certain values that we live by. And you represent these values, and you represent the name of the Wallace family. So the decisions that you make represent us. The way you live your life, you represent us. And young, strong young men that we've raised to make decisions for themselves, 
I say to them, how you live your life, the decisions you make will reflect on the name of the Wallaces. It's very, very much the same here when we say we want to live our lives for the glory of God. The way you live your life, the decisions you make, reflects on God and his name, his fame, and his reputation. That's what we talk about when we talk about the glory of God. Looking at Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, uh, we get a very good understanding of how they represented the God of glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing glory or power is from God and not from us. When we talk about the book of Hebrews, you'll find out that in the book of Hebrews, it talks about a better covenant that God has saved us into. That covenant that we entered into wasn't through animal blood, but it was through the blood of Jesus. It's a better covenant with better promises. In the Old Testament, when the Ten Commandments were given, the Israelites had to look at the Ten Commandments, the law, which didn't change them. It just brought guilt up within them and set boundaries on how they should live and they should have, but it didn't change them. Under the new covenant, one with better promises, the word of God, the Bible says, in the book of Hebrews, is written upon our hearts. And that changes us. The word of God, as we read it, becomes a part of who we are. And when we look at the word of God, and we see Jesus in the word of God, that's when we are starting to be transformed from one point to the other, as the Hebrew writer says. And so that's a little bit of God's glory. And, 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 and we see it is all the way through the Bible. We sing about it as we did this morning. But my friends, a life that lives for the glory of God is firstly... A life that believes. And we see here that God's glory was revealed through Martha when she believed. And um, John chapter 11 verses 23 to 27 said, says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Son of God who has come into the world. God's glory is revealed through us when we believe. Wasn't it wonderful? Over the last few weeks, we had four people who started believing in Jesus. Two women and two men. And then I heard during the week that a couple of Sri Lankan people 
trusted Jesus for their life and they want to be baptized now. You see, when we believe, God's glory shines through us because this concept of glory is so hard to break down. When we say, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What does it mean? My friends, God's glory comes through this treasure jar of clay and his surpassing glory shines through us when we believe. The word believe occurs in the book of John 98 times in some form or another. How many of you know that John was serious about believing? It's a beautiful word. Believe means that when God speaks, we receive it and we step into it. And God's glory shines through us. And also, when we speak about the word believe, it is relational in nature. For Martha, she believed what Jesus said because she had a relationship with them. They, they were together often. She used to talk to him, ask questions. She's one of those people who ask questions all the time. It is so cool because um, I've gotten together with some, I'm getting together with some people on a Friday morning, quarter to seven until eight o'clock. And we just talking through the Trinity at the moment, delighting in the Trinity. And we have a couple of people in the group who ask questions all the time. And one of the people on Friday morning, he's sitting here, he says, do I ask too many questions? I said to him, carry on asking questions. I said, if I ignore you, it is because you're asking too many. But I think Martha was like that. She had such a hunger and a thirst after God that she just asked questions upon questions upon questions. It wasn't just so that she was curious, but she wanted to see the glory of God shine, shine through her. My friends, Martha believed. Jesus says, do you believe? She says, I believe. My friends, it is some of the most powerful words that you'll ever speak. That will transform your life when you believe what God says. For some of us, it's a little bit harder to believe because we're skeptics. For whatever reason, we may come from a background where we've been hurt and, and it's difficult for us to believe. But Mary says, I believe that you are the Messiah. That means the Redeemer. And that you are the Son of God. What a confession. Awesome miracle that these people experienced over the last few weeks that took place when Martha said, yeah, I believe that you are the son of God. That same miracle took place within these people last week and the week before who said, I believe. I spoke to the one gentleman afterwards and we prayed together and he said, yet I could feel him inside of me. <laughs> I could feel him inside of me. He says, I believe. My friends, that's how powerful belief is. You see, the Holy Spirit comes and he draws us to Jesus. Our response is, I believe that you are the Son of God. 
and that you are the Redeemer. You're redeeming me from my sin and my wasted life. What will it profit a man, Jesus said, if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And then Jesus goes on in the next verse, he says, and what will you give exchange for your soul? My friends, when we believe, something happens that transforms us. Um, we start to turn our eyes away from ourselves. My friends, if you have a problem with your self-image, believe what God is saying. Take your eyes off of yourself. Start to gaze at Jesus. The more you look at him, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and the more we look at his glory, when we find his face in worship, my friends, that is how he changes us. It is not reading the Bible like a rule book that changes us. Agreed? Because you might as well go and live with the Old Testament law. But it is as we take these pages of scripture, we start reading it, and we see Jesus in these scriptures. And do you know what happens? If you do it daily, he will start to change you and transform you. And he'll do an inward work that after maybe six months, you look back and you say, wow, what happened in my life? I've been changed. That's how change takes place. It's not merely through self-discipline, through self-effort. No. It is when we believe. You see, my friends, the word belief is such an amazing word. When you believe, miracle takes place and we start confessing Jesus. We talk about Jesus wherever we go. We do. That's how strong and powerful belief is. And we see here that Martha is just such an amazing picture of believing. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That happens when God's work takes place within our lives. And we become most satisfied in him. Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forevermore. A friend of mine, almost 30 years ago, a guy called Ray Oliver, he preached here in the early days when we came. And he sat down, we had such a good conversation. And, and I love theology and I love books and, and I just said to him, oh I love this and he just looked at me and he says, Piet read all you can study all you can but he says Jesus is there to be experienced and to be enjoyed. Isn't that wonderful? Always remembered that when we believe he comes and he changes us isn't that what Christianity is about? You'll be most miserable when you're in that place where you have not experienced and enjoyed Jesus. Mary 
Should I say Martha understood that. Secondly, God's glory was revealed through Mary as she worshipped Jesus. Yes, God's glory was revealed through Martha when she believed Jesus, but Mary, God's glory was revealed through her as she worshipped him. John 11 verses 32 to 33, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, but was troubled. My friends, all of us are called to be worshippers. We all worship something. We either worship ourselves, we either worship creation, but God has called us to worship the creator. And the very thing that we worship is what we become like. When we worship Jesus, we become like him. When we worship creation, we become adventurous. We enjoy our hikes. We enjoy our holidays. Nothing wrong with it. But when we start to worship our comfort, our lives take on that form. We become who we worship. When you look at this beautiful life of Mary, you'll find it countless of times just at the feet of Jesus, just worshiping. Now, worship is a lifestyle, I understand that, but there are those times when just in his presence we come and we fall down and we just worship him. What motivates us to do that? It is when we see his worth. That is what glory is all about. When we say we glorify your name, we are proclaiming how much worth he is to us. We use the term what? You are worthy. 24 elders fell down on their feet, uh, fell down on their knees. In the presence of God in the book of Revelation. And they said, worthy, worthy, worthy. Only you are worthy to undo the seals. And he was talking about the Son of God dying on the cross for us. He says, only you are worthy. And they fell down and just worshipped him. I remember one of the earliest times when I met Jenny. And um, in our times of worship together, I looked at this young lady. And um, I would just see her dancing and worshiping God um, with, within the church gatherings. And, and we hadn't known each other for long. But that's just one of the things that I just fell in love with, with Jean. When she worships, her focus is there. Why? Because she has found Jesus to be worthy. He's worth something to her. And that's really attractive for me. Men, the older your wife gets, the more she is not attracted to your body, believe it or not. She's attracted to your spirituality in God. Women, 
Yeah, it's true. It's true. They're attracted to your spirituality in God. I'm back at the gym, hoping to impress my wife. And as I'm at the gym there, I had a friend who inspired me, but he's not here today. He's probably in the gym. John Joseph, where are you? So we joined the gym together, but I got there before him. And um, as I'm working out in the gym, you know, they don't have enough mirrors there for me. And so as, we, as I'm working out in the gym there, you know, I feel, hey, hey, Christo, can you see that I've been to the gym? Tell the truth. <laughs> Thank you. Good to have friends around who needs enemies. And um, in the gym there, you know, when you go to the different um, gym equipment, you know, as you're eyeing it and someone else is already there, and then when you get to it, there's, there's one now where I'm trying to work on my chest. Because what you find as you get older is that your stomach outweighs your chest. <laughs> and so as I'm there, I'm watching the people. As soon as they finish, I rush there. Michelle, I haven't seen you in the gym for a while. <laughs> and so I rush there. And um, as I get there, the little pig is in the very last hole, which means it's the heaviest hole. And when I'm sitting there, I'm trying to look at who's looking. And I take the peg out and I put it in the third or the fourth hole. And I'm furiously working out. And then without anyone looking, I put it back in the heaviest <laughs> one. And I see some people checking me as I'm doing it and they can't wait for me to get. And as they look away, I put it in the heaviest one. And I just go and sit there and I go and watch them. So much fun. Because <laughs> they saw me go and, you know, and then I go quicker, quicker. And then, and then they go, oh, it's oh, in the last one. That has absolutely nothing to do with the message this morning. <laughs> My friends, we worship our bodies. And I see that there. Good to take care of our bodies. Good to have holidays. Good to go and like. But my friends, be very careful that we don't start worshipping those things instead of the Creator. Creation is great. No more beautiful place than Switzerland. No. But let's worship the Creator. That's when God's glory shines through. John Piper says this. If you don't feel strong desires... For the manifestation of the glory of God. It is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things. And there is no room for the great. When we get satisfied. With the glory of God. That wonderful chorus. All other things will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. My friends, if you're struggling in your walk. You say, I just can't do it. You know, I'm trying to get up to go to that church meeting. Or I'm trying to do this. I'm, try- I'm trying to just live the Christian life, my friends. Don't try harder. 
look upwards. Behold the glory of the only begotten of the Son, Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the promise that Paul speaks about of his glory shining within your heart. Most often through the word of God as you read it, you spend time, you meditate upon it. Will change and transform you from one level of glory to the next. Just let him do that. Martha believed Mary was a worshiper. Church, let's more and more become a church who loves to sit at the feet of Jesus day in and day out. Don't, don't you forget that? Don't you miss it? Maybe you forgot about it. Restore that. Mary loved just to worship Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's another passage in John chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, speaking about Mary being a worshiper. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Mirth also served. While Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table, Mary took a pint of pure nard and perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped her feet with it. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. My friends, if I could spiritualize it, our house this morning here was filled with the fragrance and the perfume of the glory of God. When we worship at home, during our own times, our house will be filled with the fragrance and the perfume of God's glory. Oh, man, I'm desiring at my young tender age, as I'm grooming my body for the future, <laughs> to be filled more and more and more with his glory. And that I would reflect him, as Jenny reminded us this morning, to the wonderful people of this wonderful land that God has placed us in. Walk into the workplace. Why don't you spread the fragrance and the perfume of his glory amongst 